Hello and welcome to the Sam Fiction and Fantasy Fun Podcast. This is episode 3 of The Witcher Chapter by Chapter Book Review, where I'll go through a summary of what happened in the last chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'll be discussing Chapter 3 of Book 1, The Last Wish. So, really quick, if you're watching the video version of this podcast... Um, basically that's on my YouTube channel. If you didn't know, if you've found this through Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever, there is a video version on my YouTube channel and my YouTube channel has the same name as the podcast. It's Sam fiction and fantasy fun. And, um, I'm talking about the video because you might see in the video, this blanket, and if I move at all during the podcast, um, you might see it. It's kind of cold in my apartment right now. It's December at the time of recording this, so it is, well, okay, I live in Southern California, so it doesn't get really cold, but it still gets kind of cold. It does get a little bit chilly, and my apartment is definitely chilly. You need blanket when you're just kind of sitting down and not moving. So um, I have this blanket here and it's actually a very special blanket. This was handmade by my mom. So anyway, if you see this stuff here, it's this very fine handcrafted blanket. Oh, you know, you know what? This is actually a pretty good test to see if my mom actually listens to my podcast like she said she would. Is <laughs> you know what? I She's not a fan of The Witcher. She doesn't hate it. It's just not for her. And I don't expect her to listen to every single episode of this. There's going to be a lot of episodes where we're talking about The Witcher if we're going to do every chapter of every book, which is what I fully intend on doing. I'd be very impressed if she listened to every single episode, but I think... I, I, she should be listening to at least the this is the only the third episode so she should be still listening up to this point so if she doesn't say anything mom if you don't say anything <laughs> then I'll know if you don't say anything that about the blanket I mentioned I'll know that you are not actually listening so yeah this is this is a good test anyway so we'll start out the episode with a recap from the latest chapter. So the chapter prior to the one that we're going to be talking today, just so that you can get caught up if you haven't listened to the last one recently, or if you have, if you missed it and you haven't listened at all and you just want to start here. So the latest chapter began with Geralt waking up in bed with a silent priestess in the temple of Melitale. He's currently staying there to be treated from Striga wounds. And he's being treated by his old friend, the temple's high priestess, Mother Neneke. Neneke tries to convince Geralt that allowing Iola, which is the name of the silent priestess he slept with, to perform a trance on him, it might be a good thing, but he's skeptical that it'll have any effect. From there, the chapter moved into this, the short story, A Grain of Truth, where Geralt met a cursed man named Nivellin, who had the appearance of a beast, a house that obeyed his commands, and a vampire lover named Verena. After Geralt realizes that Verena was a vampire and was wreaking havoc on Nivellin and anyone who wandered near the remote location surrounding Nivellin's house, 
Geralt slew the vampire and reversed Nivellen's curse, returning him to his past human form. All right, so now we'll go through the summary of the chapter we're talking about today, chapter three. So chapter three of The Last Wish begins with Geralt and Neneke having an unpleasant discussion with two members of an order known as the White Rose. The two members, Balwick and Talis, have come to Neneke's temple to demand, on behalf of Ellender's Duke Hereward, that Geralt departs the land immediately. Geralt and Neneke try to reason with the knights, saying that Geralt is only in town for personal matters, and he'll be leaving in only three days, but they don't care why he's there, and they want him gone now. From here, the chapter's flashback story titled, The Lesser Evil, begins. Geralt has just arrived in the town of Blaviken, with a donkey pulling a cart carrying a dead monster called a Kikimora. He's bringing the monster carcass to the old, or to the town elderman to find out if there's a reward, as this is how Geralt, a witcher, makes his living. He arrives at the elderman's house, his friend by the name of Kaldamine, who gives him the disappointing news that there is no reward. One of the town guards, however, reminds Kaldamine that the town wizard, Irian, might offer Geralt something for it. They bring the dead Kikimora to the wizard's tower where they announce themselves through a magic intercom system. The wizard isn't interested in the Kikimora, but is very interested in welcoming Geralt into the tower. Geralt enters to discover that the wizard isn't actually called Irian, but it's a wizard from his past named Stregobor. Stregobor and Geralt know each other from a time when Geralt tried to receive a reward from the king of Kovir for killing a monster until Stregobor convinced the king that Geralt was a thoughtless killing machine, which then resulted in the king not only refusing to pay Geralt, but also giving him very little time to leave the country before having him executed. Basically, Geralt doesn't have fond memories of Stregobor. Although Geralt doesn't think very highly of him, the wizard asks the witcher for his help in defending him from a monster who's after him. Before describing the monster in particular, Stregobor provides some background on the Curse of the Black Sun. The Black Sun, according to Stregobor, is a solar eclipse that would announce the return of a goddess, Lilith, and the extermination of the human race, and Lilith's path would be paved by 60 women who would fill the river valleys with blood. Stregobor and other mages who believed this prophecy began to kill an autopsy girl's born during or closely after the solar eclipse until they eventually realized they were making some mistakes in choosing the girls, so they instead starting, started to isolate them in towers. They believed the girls to be mutated and to have been prone to cruelty, aggression, and sudden fits of rage. There are some people, such as Geralt, who think the prophecy is nonsense, and it was just an excuse for mages to manipulate crowned officials more than they already do by breaking up marriage alliances um, or any other kind of alliances. One of the girls in particular, a banished princess called Renfrey, is the quote-unquote monster that is currently after Stregobor. Renfrey is seeking revenge on Stregobor for his part and assisting her stepmother, Aridia, in attempting to have her killed. Geralt dismisses the curse in this particular situation as Aridia trying to get Renfrey out of the way as she would prefer to have her own children inherit the throne, since she's Renfrey's stepmother and she has her own children that are not stepchildren. 
Stregobor has been trying to escape from Renfri's revenge for some time, moving from place to place and using magic to cover his tracks, but she always manages to find him, another characteristic of her mutation, Stregobor believes. She's recently arrived in Blaviken, so Stregobor asks Geralt to kill her, to which Geralt refuses since he's not in the business of killing humans for pay, especially when he finds the whole curse of the Black Sun to be nonsense anyway. Stregobor claims killing her would be the lesser evil, but Geralt asserts that if he has to choose between one evil and another, he'd prefer not to choose at all. Geralt leaves Stregobor's tower and meets back up with Kaldamine at a local inn, where they try to find Renfri and the gang of six men she showed up with in Blaviken. Geralt finds the men seated at a table in an alcove where he approaches them, letting them know he'd like to talk to Renfri. They're extremely hostile, and right before a fight breaks out, Renfri presents herself. She, Geralt, and Kaldamine have a short discussion where the Elderman warns her to leave Blaviken with her companions, or he'll have them all imprisoned. Renfri presents him with a letter from the king stating that anyone who mistreats her will endure his wrath. To that, Kaldamine says that if she does end up breaking the law, he'll have her imprisoned. When Geralt returns to the Elderman's home where he's staying, he's about to enter his attic room where he notices someone is already in there waiting for him. It's Renfri who climbed across rooftops to sneak in and talk to Geralt about how she'd like him to kill Stregobor, as Geralt is the only one Stregobor will let into his tower. She also claims killing him would be the lesser evil, as there would be less bloodshed in Blaviken. She talks about the horrible experiences she had after the wizard and her stepmother tried to have her killed, while she lived as a wanderer, but it isn't enough to persuade Geralt to kill Stregobor. He just wants to remain, remain neutral. Geralt convinces her to take her gang and leave Blaviken in the morning. The two spend the night together, and the next morning, Geralt tells Kaldamine that they'll be leaving peacefully. During their discussion, however, Kaldamine mentions something that leads Geralt to recall a part of his conversation with Renfri last night, and realizes that they're they aren't actually leaving Blaviken. Renfri lied, and they're going to take advantage of Blaviken's market day and start killing civilians in the street until Stregobor decides to leave his tower and submit to Renfri. He tells his friend to gather the town guards, but Kaldamine insists that nothing can be done. With the paper Renfri had issued from the king, he cannot actually do anything to her and her crew, even if they commit any crimes. Geralt doesn't care. Even when his friend, the Otterman, forbids him from interfering, Geralt heads to the market to stop them. When he arrives, the six men of Renfri's gang are waiting for him. They try to attack Geralt, but he, ima but he manages to defend himself and kills all six of them. Renfri arise arrives at the scene to see her friends dead. She says Stregobor refused to leave his tower, even if they killed the whole town, and that he wouldn't even let Geralt in. He urges her to leave, but she declines and draws her sword. He tries to use a witcher sign to will her to go, but the magic has no impact on her, and the two cross swords. The fight, albeit more difficult than the fight with all six men, ends with the victorious Geralt and a dead Renfri. Stregobor now arrives at the scene, saying he saw what happened from his crystal ball. He tells Geralt to bring a cart so they can take her body to be autopsy, but Geralt surprising himself even, threatens to kill Stregobor if he touches her. Stregobor backs down and says he's heading back to Kovir and that Geralt should leave with him since the people of Blaviken only know what they saw. 
It's just him slaughtering seven people in the street. He refuses, and the townspeople start to throw stones at him, which he blocks with a witcher sign. And it's probably Quen from the last chapter, since it acts as a shield. The alderman shows up and tells everyone to stop, and also tells Geralt to leave and never come back. So, my very first thought after I read this story was, is the curse of the Black Sun real or not? And we really don't know. So I put together in my notes here uh, some points that argue the legitimacy of the curse of the Black Sun and then some points that you could use to argue that it's BS. So for things pointing to it being real, first thing I have is Stregobor was present for an autopsy done on one of these girls. He said that she had a six-chambered heart, missing organs. Some of the organs were not in the right places. Moving cilia throughout the body. And I honestly don't think that Stregobor lied about this. And I don't really know a good way that you could explain what happened there. Aside from the curse being real. And I don't think that Stregobor lied because he knows Geralt. And he knows that Geralt's not stupid and he's not somebody that you can just lie to and get away with it. He, I think he knows that Geralt's wise enough to be able to see through some easy lies. So that's one thing that we don't really get an explanation for aside from it really being the curse. Uh, something else was that Stregoborg tells Geralt that a lot of the girls showed signs of the gift of clairvoyance. We see this firsthand in the story. So he tells Geralt that, and then when Geralt and Renfrey are in the attic room talking, she has a little episode of showing signs of clairvoyance. They're sitting there and the discussion gets weird. So. Even the things that Geralt says are kind of strange, like some of the questions he starts asking her are weird. So she says things um, like you're standing on a flagstone covered in blood and you've made a choice and you'll never know if it was the right one. And it's just kind of random. It kind of comes out of nowhere in the discussion that they're having. And he doesn't even really seem that confused about it, which I thought was weird, but... She says that, and that right there shows you, because you know, Geralt was on these flagstones that were covered in blood after he killed all seven of them. And he made a choice, you know, choosing to try and stop Renfrey and her comrades. And she also says, or he, he asks her, he says, who, who are you? And she says, I am what I am. And then the next day when Geralt goes to the market to stop all of them, the six guys are there and they pass on a message from Renfrey to Geralt before she shows up or before she gets the chance to show up. And 
that's one of the things that was part of her message to Geralt was like, I am what I am, which I mean, you could, you could always just argue that she said, you know, that that wasn't, you know, anything that had to do with being able to predict the future or have psychic powers. But she, he also says, where are you? Another question that I thought was so strange, but then she says, I'm cold. And that's something she says when, right after Geralt gets her, when they, when they're having their sword fight, she, um, she's on the ground and she says to Geralt, she's trying to get Geralt to come over and comfort her because what you find out right after she takes her last breath, she drops a little dagger that she was kind of hiding underneath her body. So she, she says like, Geralt, hold me. And she says, I'm cold. And you know, she really just wanted Geralt to come to her so that as she's dying, she could kill him really quick. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was another thing. Like, you know, that's, it's kind of hard to explain that one away. Also being impervious to magic. So Geralt tells Stregobor, this is impossible, but he later sees firsthand that it's not, you know, he tries to use one of his witcher signs on Renfri and right before they fight to try to get her to leave and it just doesn't have any effect on her. So if Geralt, a skeptic of the curse's legitimacy, is later pro proved wrong about the possibility of magic resistance, then other things he was skepti skeptical about could turn out to be true as well. So, you know, we have, um, during the conversation between Stregobor and Geralt, we have Geralt being very dismissive of the whole thing the entire time. He thinks it's nonsense. And I feel like it's written in a way so that you're inclined to agree with him. I think also you're just inclined to agree with him because he's the protagonist. And so far throughout this book, he, you know, we, we, we get to know him more than anybody else. We like him. We want to agree with him. So if he's saying something like that, then we're going to kind of just go with whatever he's saying and Stregobor comes across as kind of like an overzealous lunatic a little bit. I mean, overzealous, yeah, but a lunatic just a little bit. He might be, who knows. But yeah, what I guess what I'm just trying to say here is that you know, just because Geralt says it's true or not true doesn't really mean that it is what he says. And then the last point that I have as to why the curse of the Black Sun could be a real thing is this is a world where magic and curses exist as we've seen so far we're not that far into the story into the the whole story of the witcher and we've seen what, at least two curses at this point nivelin and the striga we've seen magic so it's really not unlikely that something like this would be real in this world if somebody came to me in our real world in real life and told me about a curse or, you know, girls being born during an eclipse were cursed and had these mutations and basically everything that they say these girls in the Witcher story had, I would think that they were crazy and I wouldn't believe it at all. But it's not that far out of a theory in the Witcher world. But it could be, it could be nonsense. Um, some of the things could be maybe kind of explained away and I'll get to that right now. So, well, the first thing is that 
the whole story of the curse of the black sun, Geralt says that um, Eltabald was mad and Eltabald was the wizard who originally started the whole uh, mania of the curse of the black sun. He was the mage that got this whole thing going and Geralt thinks that the guy was just crazy. And Stregobor says, no, he wasn't crazy. He wasn't mad. Like, it's real. But maybe he was. We don't know. Uh, he also thinks that the mutations, Geralt, that is, thinks that the mutations could have been a result of magic. So this is something that could kind of explain away some of the points that I did recently talk about, like the abnormal autopsy and the clairvoyance and the uh, resistance to magic. So the people who were experimenting and dealing with these girls who were quote unquote cursed were mages. They were people that practiced magic and they could have been doing magic things to these girls that could have actually changed them, changed their anatomy, could have given them some magic powers themselves, probably unintentionally. I don't think that they were doing that just so that they could claim that the girls actually were cursed and mutated, but that might be part of it. We really don't know enough about magic to be able to come to that decision one way or the other, and I don't know if we'll ever learn enough throughout the story to be able to decide, but it's just another thing that you can consider when it comes to what you want to believe at, at the end of the story. Um, Geralt says that, um, this is a quote, he says, you can say that about any woman. When Stregobor argues the girls had a tendency to cruelty and aggression, which, I mean, it's kind of like a sexist thing to say, but I mean, it, we, you could say that about any person, you know what? Nobody's perfect. People are going to show signs of aggression and cruelty from time to time. You know, some people more than others. But I think basically the point that Geralt makes is that just because they showed signs of cruelty and aggression doesn't mean that they were cursed. It, they, it could just be a person being a person. And then I want to kind of come back to this point in my next one, which is that the girls who were freed from the towers... So some of these girls were in prison in towers, they were isolated, and some of them were freed. There was this craze of these princes trying to rescue the girls from towers. Some of them that were successfully freed committed crimes later. Uh, Stregobor gives some, some examples of them just wreaking havoc on these countries and doing a lot of bad things. But could that be a result of how they were treated? Is that kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where somebody treats you like you're a cruel, vicious monster your whole life. You might end up becoming that because of how you were treated. And I think that that ties back to my last point too about, um, you know, when Stragabor was saying that the girls had a tendency to cruelty and aggression. You were treating them like they had that. But again, we don't know for sure. It's left ambiguous so that you can decide for yourself. What I 
had thought the first time that I read this, I still didn't think that it was real. I think I just wanted to side with Geralt. But after reading this chapter, I don't know, like 18 times in preparation for this episode of this podcast, I was left thinking that it might be real to an extent. I think that maybe some of it might be legit and some of it might be nonsense. I think some of it also might be like what I was just talking about, how, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy, you get treated a certain way, you're eventually just going to start acting that way, even if you weren't acting that way when they started treating you like that. So I do think that some pieces of what were argued by Stregobor might be real. The clairvoyant thing, I think that there might be some legitimacy there. The uh, resistance to magic, I don't know if that was a common thing with, they don't say that that was something that happened with all the girls born during or after, or closely after the eclipse. I think that it might have just been Renfrey, but I mean, Renfrey was also um, once affected by magic. So maybe um, after Stregovor cursed her by turning in, turning her into a slab of mountain crystal, which sounds horrible. Um, that's I left that out of the summary, but so if you haven't read it, there was a point where Renfri saw Stregobor like out in the street somewhere and she came at him with a sword and he cursed her by turning in, turning her into a slab of mountain crystal. And then somebody found her and um, reversed the spell and turned her back into a person. And then from there on out, she was resistant to magic. So that also kind of goes along with, well, you were doing magic to them that magic could have impacted these things that you found. But I don't know. Some of it, I think, could be possible. Maybe the whole thing with the autopsy, with that was done on one of the girls with the six-chambered heart and the missing organs, maybe that was part of the curse. But, yeah, I don't know. And we'll never know for sure, which makes it uh, makes it more fun. So, moving on. Uh, toward the beginning of the story, Geralt refuses to help Stregobor, claiming that evil is evil and that he'd rather not choose between different evils. But later, when he realizes Renfrey and her gang are going to repeat the Tridom ultimatum, he tells Calvamine that they have to stop them because it's the lesser evil. And really quick, I'll explain what the Tridom ultimatum is. So, Calvamine tells Geralt about this. He says that this is, or that it was um, one of the men in Renfri's gang. He is a half-elf, and his name's Sivril. He was part of this ultimatum thing that happened in this, I don't know if it's a town or region or a country, but it's called Tritum. And what happened was he had these, um, they, call them, they call them brigands, that they were his comrades, him and a few other people, and they were imprisoned in this town. We'll just say it's a town. And 
They wanted them freed. They demanded to have them freed. And the baron of this town refused. So they intercepted this ferry that had pilgrims on it. And there's, I think there was over 25 pilgrims. And they started killing them. You know, they were telling them, if you don't release them from prison, if you don't release our friends from prison, we're going to keep killing. And eventually the baron caved and he freed the brigands from prison and they didn't end up killing all of the pilgrims on this ferry. So just to provide you with some background on what that is. Why did Geralt change his tune? He says more than once he's not going to choose or he's, you know, he's all about being neutral. So why did he change his tune? Well, when he hears the story from Stregobor's side, he doesn't want to choose because he doesn't believe the curse of the Black Sun to be real. So he finds Stregobor, a participant in the witch hunts, to be deserving of Renfri's revenge. And he doesn't want to get in the middle. You know, it's two different people's battle. He, he doesn't want to get involved in that, which is totally understandable. Also, he, as a witcher, isn't a hired thug, and just because he's good at killing doesn't mean he wants to get involved in human affairs. His perspective on Renfri changes, though, when he realizes she's willing to slaughter an entire town of people. And see, I think that the thing is, most people would probably find this to be the lesser evil. So whether or not you want to remain neutral, I think most people would see somebody trying to kill an entire town's worth of innocent people that had nothing to do with anything involved with Renfri and Stregobor. I think they would find that to be pretty abhorrent. And I think most people, if they had Geralt's physical capabilities, I think that they would want to interfere with that and try to prevent that from happening because... It's just, it's just horrible. So Geralt didn't want to choose, but like I mentioned in previous episodes, I think he's a good guy and good people don't stand idly by and watch an entire town get slaughtered and do nothing, especially when you can do something. You're not going to just do nothing. So something we kind of learn in this chapter and i say kind of because maybe i'm just overthinking it but we'll find out in the future if this is me overthinking it or if it's real there seems to be a prejudice towards witchers the white rose from the very beginning of the chapter when carol is at the temple with nenege um, the White Rose are trying to force Geralt to leave. They don't even know Geralt. Well, they've never met him until that moment, and they came there with the agenda of trying to force him out. Falwick, one of the knights, says, Witchers attract trouble like a magnet filings. Don't know exactly what that means, but I can guess what he's saying is that he's making a generalization that witchers attract trouble. So that's already... Uh, red flag right there that they're prejudiced against witchers but maybe it's not a prejudice because talus calls Geralt the butcher of blaviken 
So at the beginning of the chapter, when we first read that, we don't know what this is in reference to, but we very quickly, I mean, by the time we're done with the whole chapter, we know what that means. And this is in a different area too. So uh, he seems to have gained some infamy for what happened during the short story and people clearly aren't happy about it. I mean, we saw that in the short story when people decided to try and start throwing stones at him, but even in a whole different region, people know about it and they, do not like him for it. So it's possible that maybe it really just has to do with that. Maybe they heard, oh, this guy, this witcher that is in town slaughtered eight people and like Stregobor tells Geralt, you know, they, they don't know any of the backstory. They only know what they saw and what they saw was you killing seven people. So That's probably the rumor or the word that got spread around was that he just killed seven innocent people. Uh, no further context. So maybe that's all it is, is they think, okay, this guy's bad news. We got to get him out of here, but we'll find out. We'll possibly find out in future chapters or future stories. So another thing I wanted to talk about was in the last chapter, chapter two, I discussed how there were a lot of parallels, very obvious ones between the short story, A Grain of Truth, and the story of Beauty and the Beast. So in this story, The Lesser Evil, we had some parallels between the story and Snow White. And there don't seem to be, or there doesn't seem to be a parallel between the story as a whole of Snow White and then the story as, of, as a whole of the lesser evil, but there's just a few mentions throughout the chapter that show you the parallels. So one of them is there's a magic mirror. So if you're familiar with Snow White and I'm just going to assume that you are, uh, you know that there's a magic mirror and Renfri's stepmother, Aridia had a magic mirror that you could talk to and, find out things from. Um, Geralt says something about that mirror is, you know, basically there to ask who the fairest of them all is. And Stregobor says that she actually would ask that mirror about like the good of the country or like the health of her country. So either way though, it's definitely connected. Um, the queen, Aridia, wanted Renfrey dead. So just like in Snow White, the queen wanted um, Snow White dead. Another thing was the seven gnomes. So for a period of time before the whole Blaviken thing, Renfrey had these comrades that were all gnomes and there were seven of them, just like the seven dwarfs, and they were miners, just like the seven dwarfs. I really liked that they added the detail about them being miners too. And then the last one, let me know if you found more parallels than what I have. But the last one was that Aridia and Stregobor tried to poison Renfri at one point with a poison apple. So Renfri says that they tried to give her an apple laced with nightshade. And she wasn't saved by a prince, but she was saved by a gnome. I guess one of those seven gnomes. And um, she ended up surviving. But I like that. I think that's, that's cool. It adds on to the story a little bit. 
what's already a really good story. So in this story and in this chapter, we get to know a little bit more about the Witcher world. So I just wanted to make note of some of these things. I think it's fun. And I also just like to have a mental note of it at the very least, just so I can kind of keep track of what this world is like, since it's a world different from our own. Uh, we learn of a monster called a Kikimora. And that was briefly mentioned in one of the first two stories. I can't remember which one, but it was very shortly mentioned. I think it was actually, yeah, I think it was in a grain of truth when Geralt is trying to figure out who killed or what killed the armor and his daughter that had recently tried to come to see Nivellen. And they, um, or he, he, he mentions a Kikimora being one of the things that could have killed them, but then he quickly realizes that it, it couldn't have been because there's no swamps nearby. So Kikimora is a swamp monster and we know it's got a, a, a similar body to a spider, just a lot larger. That sounds disgusting. Uh, glad that is not real in our world. We learn a little bit more about the abilities of witchers. And I'd like to note this in each episode, I've at least done that so far. Um, but one thing I mentioned in one of the first two episodes was some of the Witcher abilities we learn about, we don't know 100% that all Witchers can do these things, or if Geralt is just very exceptional. But either way, um, I'll mention the things that I have noted. So the first one is that Geralt was able to hit a rat with a fork in the dark. And with that explanation in the book, we also have more proof of witchers having the capability of real human feelings because Carol says he thought that doing that, hitting or hitting the rat with the fork in the dark would be amusing. And I don't think people who don't have human feelings would be seeking amusement. And also, Geralt deflects a crossbow bolt in midair. So that's definitely not a normal human thing that can be done. Uh, not that I know of, at least. So that is something else that we learn. And again, I don't know if that's just Geralt or if all witchers can do that. We also get to learn about more witcher signs. Um, one is probably Quen. So when um, Geralt kills Renfri and her men and the people of Blaviken try to start throwing stones at him, he uses a witcher sign to hold up a shield. And I think it's Quen because in the last chapter he uses that and um, it describes it as being like a shield. And then he also uses a sign to try and control people's willpower. And he tries to do this to Renfrey and it's unsuccessful. Uh, neither of these are identified though in the story. So I don't know exactly what they are, but I think the first one's Quen. The second one we saw in the very first story, the very beginning of the first story when he's in um, the tavern in Wisem and then the guards come to get him because he just killed those men. Oh. So this is the second time girls killed some people. I mean, these people aren't, were up to no good, but I just had that realization now that he's done that um, a couple of times now. 
uh, when we're only into the third chapter. So um, anyway, but yeah, they don't tell us what the name of that sign is and they don't tell us again in this chapter, but um, I'm curious what it's called. And I'm also curious if we have learned about all of the Witcher signs up to this point. But if we do get more, I will be sure to point them out in future episodes. We learn that witchers and wizards don't love each other. And it seems like wizards tend to advocate for preserving monsters because they're endangered and they only kill because they're hungry. So that's something that we find out for sure with Stregobor. He tries to convince the king of Kovir not to give Geralt any reward for killing a monster. And that's obviously very conflicting with somebody whose job is to kill monsters. So if that is a common trait with wizards, then it doesn't, um, or then it does make sense that they're not going to be big fans of one another and they're going to have a lot of conflicting ideologies. And then we are also introduced to more magic in this story. So inside of Stregobor's tower, it was a big illusion having the appearance of being outside in an orchard with food that you can actually eat and flowers that you can actually smell and a naked woman that you could actually, they don't tell us what you can actually do with her, but we can guess and uh, I'll just leave it at that. And wizards can also turn people into slabs of mountain crystal. Oh, uh, that one's not very nice magic. I don't. I did not like that one. Like that one wasn't a fun, exciting one. It's pretty crazy though. I wouldn't picture that being like the first. I mean, if I was a wizard and <laughs> and somebody was after me, uh, trying to kill me, and I mean, uh, maybe they don't have a lot of things that they can, a lot of options for what they can turn people into at a moment's notice. But I, I just can't imagine that that would be the first thing I would go to as a slab of mountain crystal. But I mean, it protected him for a little bit. So I mean, until somebody reversed the spell, but just, I don't know, so I thought it was kind of random, but yeah, that's another piece of magic we learn about that is, um, that, mages are capable of in the witcher world all right so to conclude this episode the knights of the white rose didn't seem satisfied with Geralt's declaration to leave in three days instead of immediately talus said they'll return and that's probably not going to end well but Neneke firmly has Geralt's back. She confidently told them that they're unwelcome and even threatened Talos at one point during their discussion with a jar. So she would throw a jar at his feet. And she said when it explodes, she doesn't know if it would cause his lungs to burst or if it would cause him to grow fur or maybe even both. So the two of them together, Neneke and Geralt, seem to be like a pretty good team. I mean, although Geralt is in the process of healing from getting his throat almost completely cut open. So maybe he's not really in the best shape right now to be fighting people. But hopefully these knights come to listen to reason. Or maybe they have some people in charge of them that are going to put them in their place. Although it doesn't seem like it. It seems like 
whoever is in charge and making these decisions uh, is probably also not okay with Geralt being in this area. Uh, but I, I still, yeah, I don't, I don't have high hopes for those knights if they try to interfere with them. And there's not really a whole lot that we can take from the short story itself. So the uh, the bits of the, the chapter that are going in chronological order, and I don't think I mentioned this at all yet so far in any episode, so I'll say this now. They're, they're all titled, um, God, what is it? After reading it so many times, you'd think I'd be able to remember it right off the top of my head. Uh, I got the book right here, just for this reason. Uh, the Voice of Reason. I, I didn't even get to the page yet, and it, it came to me. So, yeah, in between every short story is a little bit of the chapter called The Voice of Reason. And that's where Geralt's at this temple with Neneke, and there's the silent priestess named Iola, and the stuff with the, the white rose is going on. So that's the only part that's kind of going in chronological order that we know we're going to read more about in following chapters. So anything that we read in these short stories, we don't know how much it's going to apply to any future plot points. So there's not really a whole lot that I can say about the story, The Lesser Evil, that you know, I can use to make guesses about what is to come or to you know wonder what might come after that. Although we do know that Geralt received some infamy from the story, The Lesser Evil. You know, people are calling him the Butcher of Blaviken. But I still am interested in reading more stories, obviously I am, but I, I think that the stories are so good that you do, that you are left wanting to continue reading more. And I think that's pretty cool, but eventually we're going to get to the first book of the main series where every chapter is written out like, you know, in chronological order, it's written like a regular book is written. So once we get to that point, we can have more things to discuss of what we would like to see or find out about in uh, future chapters. But until then, it's going to be just a little bit of stuff about the, those, um, the voice of reason chapters. And yeah, I think that that is all I have to say. I kind of rambled on at the end there for a minute, but I, th I think I made my point clear. Um, so yeah, if you've listened this far, I really appreciate it. Um, I have this podcast available at this time. You can find it on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and my YouTube channel. I'm going to see if I can expand that a little bit more. I think I can, but, um, as of right now, those are the only three places. Well, at least at the time of posting my first episode, because right now recording this, I have only posted one episode so far. Anyway. Again, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.